This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's go ahead and get into it. We're talking Sugar Bowl between Washington and Texas. It is a college football playoff national semifinal. We'll talk about the game. Sprinkling a little transfer portal, and we might just start there first, but it's award season. Got a lot to cover here on this week's show, so let's not waste any more time. Before I move on, though, a couple of different ways to get this podcast. Probably the best way is anywhere you get your podcasts. Search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button when you see the feed pop up, and you'll get every episode of The Blitz when it drops. First thing, Wednesday mornings let me bring in the rest of the team that you'll hear if you are a longhorn blitz subscriber and if you've been a longhorn blitz subscriber or listener we thank you so much for your support of this podcast over the years he is a drop machine extraordinaire our lead research analyst on longhorn blitz and a daily fantasy guru he is matt butler how are you sir doing pretty well man how about you i am uh i'm staying busy but not as busy as the third member of our team he is busier than a fruit merchant these days uh he's across multiple platforms i can't even keep track of all of them he wears so many hats but for the purposes of this podcast he is our lockdown corner here on longhorn blitz lifetime longhorn 2002 ut all-american 2002 semifinalist for the jim thorpe award fourth round draft choice of the new york giants back in 2003 spent his nfl career with the giants lions bears bucks broncos and a year with the hamilton tiger cats of the cfl when he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. I appreciate the intro as always, brother. You can tell, Rod, I'm a little off my game. Matt will ble- edit that out, but it's the first time I've flubbed Rod's intro in a long time is because I ran out of air, and I had to... I had to cough, so it, it happens. It, it's a n- for, man. 99 times out of 100, that's one clean, smooth take, but it was not that today. So uh, thank you, Matt, for everything you do on the back end. Oh, Rod, let's start in the transfer portal before we get in the game. And I there were no moves in the transfer portal that surprised me. Texas is, as we're sitting here recording right now, Texas has not picked up any transfer portal commitments. But in terms of who's leaving, other than Jalen Catalan, nothing really came to me as a surprise. I think those moves, you can look at them and say, yeah, that makes sense. And even in hindsight, the Catalan deal makes sense. Where are you at on these transfer portal moves, Rod? Because I, I look at it and say, you know what? It's, it's probably, in a lot of cases, some guys that 
if they want to play college football, probably needed to think about doing it somewhere else other than Texas. Uh, yeah, man, you're right about that. I mean, it's, I mean, think about the positions, right? I mean, they've had seven guys in the transfer portal, something like that, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly safety and wide receiver. Uh, I think there are three safeties that are in transfer portal, two wide receivers now. There mm-hmm. we at that. This in transfer portal. Yep. And that makes sense, right? We talked about the wide receiver position and Sark having a really, uh, you know, kind of short, you know, condensed, <laughs> tight rotation of receivers that circle mm-hmm. of trust and not a lot of guys can penetrate that circle of trust. And if you don't, which means you're basically not in the top three or four wide receivers, you just don't see the field at all unless Texas is blowing out some opponent. Yeah. And that's been the case since he's been at Texas. Uh, he's got a really tight rotation. I think those guys understand that and they don't crack it, especially if at one point, like Casey Kane, if you were in the circle of trust and then now you're outside of it. Yeah. Thinking, well, hell, man, I was in it and now I'm outside of it. That really makes uh, you know your prospects look a little bleak. So I get wide receiver for that reason. I also get safety. You know, safety. Look at the dynamics in that room. I have Derek Williams, a true freshman. You know, who is their best coverage safety in my opinion? Who's now getting a lot of reps, a, a, a bulk of, of those reps. If that's the case, uh, then that means those veterans in there, those three safeties, have watched him, you know, surpass them and start to get more reps. They probably started out getting more reps and more opportunities. And then the young buck comes in and now he's kind of showcased himself. You also have a walk-on, former walk-on, excuse me, that's earned a scholarship in uh, my man, Michael Taft, Taft Daddy, who's balling, by the way. He's tied for the team leading interceptions. Um, but they also watch his ascent. And, yeah. he watched it, and, and you know those guys were getting way more reps than him as a walk-on initially. And he took the very few reps that he was given and impressed the coaches more than they did. And I not only uh, was able to get more opportunities in them in practice, but they ended up earning his way on the field and they couldn't sniff their way into that safety rotation. And yet you had a former walk-on and a true freshman. So I get why they don't see any light at the end of their tunnel in terms of playing time either. So I get those two positions. I get why it's happening. Yep. And it makes sense. You pointed it out right there, you know, with like, say even with our previous coach, Tom Herman, you know, played a lot more wide receivers. Or if you look at a lot of like, say the air raid offenses, you look at Lincoln Riley, how he rotates guy. If it was OU or at USC, you're talking seven, eight deep on guys. And you're always wondering how this star guy isn't getting more snaps because nobody gets more than like, say 70% snaps. That's how tech, if you look at the tech wide receiver room, they're playing like eight guys deep, but then you have a guy like Sark, no matter where he's been, he's been a guy where you're going to see 80, 90 plus percent of the snaps. If a guy's healthy, he's almost playing the whole game there. So it's just sort of an area where now with the portal, the kids that say play receiver can sort of, you know, scout out the landing spots where you can maybe find yourself a niche in not necessarily a place where you have to sit behind somebody when you see the writings on the wall. And then with safety, that just makes total sense when you have guys sort of step up and come and get production out of an area that you didn't expect it or say are ahead of schedule and you're an older veteran trying to maximize that last year of your eligibility. I'll give you a rod to to crystallize what you're talking about. Casey Kane last season, uh, he didn't play any as a, as a true freshman in 21, 149, actually, I'm sorry for snap counts, 245 snaps. He played last season, Hmm. this season, 56 yeah and 
we we've broken down the numbers throughout Sark's time. You know, his last two years at Alabama was really when it started to show. And then the first two years at Texas, it was like this. But here's your snap counts at wide receiver. A.D. Mitchell, 8, 818. Xavier Worthy, 764. Then Jordan Whittington, 509. Then fourth, Jontae Cook with 124. So the gap between three and four is 509 to 124. Casey Kane with 50. I'm sorry, DeAndre Moore, 58. Casey Kane, 56. Isaiah Nayer, eight. Ryan Niblett, five. And Paxton Anderson with three. And I think, too, you got to remember how much 12 personnel Sark runs yep. on top of using Malik Ogbo as the jumbo tight end. Jatavian Sanders, 673. Gunnar Helm, 534. Malik Ogbo played 127 snaps this year. So that, on top of not only did you fall out of the rotation, but as much 12 personnel as they run, you know, Malik Ogbo is getting more run than Casey Kane was getting this year. So, yeah, it's just one of those deals. It's But these are the good problems to have, right, Rod? Like, if guys are moving on, it's like, eh, okay, you know, hey, thank you for your for everything you did for the program, but, you know, you'll move on and, and we'll move on and everybody should be better for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, Sark is telling you that, hey, just because you came in with a, you know, a high, you know, ranking, uh, recruiting ranking, uh, that's an always guarantee that you're going to get a lot more playing time than a guy who comes in and is more assignment sound and is making more plays. Sometimes that's the case. John Tate Cook comes in. Um, he obviously takes away reps from a guy like Casey Kane. And you can see once those veteran guys leave, like X-Man, A.D. Mitchell, and Jay Witt, he's going to be the guy. Uh, but, you know, the Taft, Taft story is really interesting with this group, right? Because those guys who are deciding to hit the transfer port to safety position, those are highly recruited guys. And you know those guys get the benefit of the doubt. And I know for a fact, because I played on the 40 acres, those guys get more reps than walk-ons. Walk-on is the hardest way. It's the hardest route, hardest road to playing time. Just like undrafted free agent is the hardest road to playing time and to make a career out of in, in the NFL. And, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing that Taft was able to do that. And that's why I think you see three safeties, four DBs, but three safeties deciding all right, we're moving on. Even though next year there should be opportunity there, you know, it's kind of like when Coach Aquino was the uh, DB coach for us, he would seat us according to the depth chart and starters would sit in the front seats and then the backups behind them and so on and so on. And there'll be times you walk in that room and there would be this moment, this where we would all gasp, but collectively because <laughs> he would he would change the chart on us and like, oh man, sorry actually you need to take the seat back there and he would do it in a very nice and gracious way mm-hmm. but it was you know the accountability of oh just so you know you have the visual of the meritocracy but right here before you we're gonna make you literally uh walk in it and sit in the meritocracy of your accountability and it you know it had a long-lasting effect on me so picture that though picture yeah. i'm not saying blake gideon is doing it like that he's not but picture that with taft daddy picture the ascent of him and week after week him going from the back of that DB room and now being one of the front seats in that DB room and the guys who were in front of him going, damn, man, that dude just passed us up. He was way behind us. Uh, that dude, Derek Williams was behind us. And now he's ahead of us. Psychologically, you could understand why those guys, they, they got to move on and Texas will bring in other guys. We hear them about recruiting some high level DBs like, you know, Xavier Phil and me and, you know, Kobe black and guys like that. They're, they're trying to evolve that secondary now. They're they're close. They got the corners I think they want, 
they don't necessarily have the safeties and the nickels back of the future, the nickelbacks of the future. Uh, and that's what I think they're looking for in these next few classes and in the transfer portal potentially. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Andrew Makuba from Clemson is, you know, their big target. He's a safety nickel. Could play some corner, but uh, skill set not all that different from Jade Barron. Just Makuba's probably got more what you would consider probably NFL prototypical measurables. Uh, but uh, here's the safety snap counts, guys, if you want them for this year. Jaron Thompson, 516. Michael Taft, 391. Derek Williams, 373. Keaton Crawford, 292. Jalen Catalan, 142, BJ Allen, three, Larry Turner, good and two. So again, it's writings on the wall. I want to do, I do want to quickly talk about Catalan though. Yeah. Just it, it, he and Isaiah Nair, both. It, we saw in Nair, it was, you look back at the Wyoming stuff and this, the one spring game he was a part of. I feel like, the infatuation being enamored with those guys. It was the idea of what they could be had all things been equal, but I think it was pretty clear. All things weren't going to be equal with those guys. It just looked like Nayer never really. And I, Rod, I talked to you about this when I went the, the couple practices, I went to those open windows. Like he just looked like he didn't trust the knee. Like, it, I don't know if it was a confidence thing or, or what, but he just didn't really trust it yet. And Jalen Catalan looked great through those first five games, but then he gets hurt in game six, and we pretty much don't see him after that. Yeah. You know, so I think it was the idea of the loss is not so much there, that guy leaving and leaving a hole because the hole has been filled by various guys on each side of the ball. It's the idea of what they could be, which in the case of Isaiah Nayer, we never know if he's going to get there. And in the case of Jalen Catalan, this is probably what always it, it, his body just is letting him down. And maybe this is just what was always going to happen. Uh, yeah, it could be. Yeah. I mean, I think you just kind of nailed it. I think you might, might've got it all there. Cause I, I think for, this is what the transfer portal is for, right. For situations like that. And I, yeah. I do think if Isaiah Nayor didn't get hurt, then his fortune at Texas would have been drastically different. I think he was trending toward being, you know, one of the guys in that rotation and it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I think for the safety position, I think it's a, that is a little different. I think Taft surprised everybody. Um, I don't think the coaches anticipated him doing what he did and having to play right. him. They never do for walk-ons. That's not, even though he was a preferred walk-on, I know he probably could have gotten a scholarship somewhere else, uh, but for him be, you know, with the team lead, tied for the team lead in receptions and to have earned his way on the field, that's just an added bonus for the coaches. They don't anticipate that kind of stuff. And that's why I think at the safety you've seen more drastic, uh, uh, you know, exodus of that yeah. position than any other position. Because it, you know, how often does that happen at Texas? What's the last? I mean, the walk on that ends up earning their way on the field. It's 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 a rare thing. I'm not I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's more it's rare, especially at the Power Five programs like that. Blue yeah, Power Five program. I mean, the last one was Dylan Haynes, and that was what ten years ago, pretty much. Exactly, like white safety, which Lohan fans don't <laughs> like anyway. Y'all talk trash about him, but I just told you that's the hardest way to earn, to get earn your way on the field. And yep. all Dylan Haynes is is what top five all time interceptions at DBU, and uh, all Michael Taff is doing is tied for the team lead interceptions. Listen, if you can earn your way on that field as a wall, a white walk on safety, trust me, 
You earned it, all right. You the coaches that yeah, yeah. doing you no favors, man. You want you one of the best there. <laughs> yeah, and look at it. It's like one's a white safety from Lago Vista, one's a white safety from uh, Westlake, and then even like the coach right now, Gideon, he had to take something like they call a gray shirt. I think it was Jeff in two thousand seven, where it's like almost like a we promise you to c come and you will get your scholarship if you come here by yourself before you get your scholarship and that's a guy from Leander. So you've actually had almost three of them come and one of them's the coach of them right now. But Taft was a guy that if you looked at those numbers, even back last season before this year, it was in a tiny, tiny sample. I mentioned it before, but there's like 28 coverage snaps and he gave up nothing in man coverage. And then I think it was the QB rating allowed against him in zone was 48. So like, there was like a little sprinkling, but it's like, ah, oh, that's garbage time. That's not, you know, big time snaps. And it's just a guy that kept on persevering. I know that I think we pointed it out. And it was like, man, when you got Michael Taft hosting Arch Manning, you got to walk up. I remember Rod saying, it's like, I've never heard of a walk on being a guy that's hosting the top recruit in the country. But that's sort of the type of things that you sort of think about and you're like, oh, man, there's something about this guy. Like he's a part of the team and we've seen it just grow and grow and grow. Rod, I think I mentioned this before, but you talking about white safeties just triggered my brain to think about it. When when Cooper DeJohn from Iowa, when he gets drafted, are you gonna just are you gonna put down the the waving the flag for the white defensive back? Is your work done at that point? I I I think a lot of my work is done because more and more I'm starting to see uh, our Caucasian brothers in the in the secondary getting some love. You're right about that more and more. And I'm starting to see them at a younger age too. Now like I'm talking to see like, you know, freshman, uh, young white DBs starting chance to play. Hell, we're just talking about Taft daddy. So I think, I, I think the large part of my work is done. I just got a lot of black guilt from the Jason Seahorn thing. And <laughs> I, I wanted to try to resolve that. You know I mean? It was, it wasn't worth it. Jason Seahorn was a way better player than me. Should have kept his number. And I, I shouldn't have been the reason that they killed the last white rhino, but, it's uh, I think it's changing. It, it's it's starting to shift a little bit. Uh, I'm noticing I'm even at the NFL level. It's slow. It's a slow process, but man, that's what progress is. Sometimes it's baby steps. Yeah, we always heard like the folklore. If you were around like the Texas program, like you would hear about it in high school, it'd be like, oh man, I mean, Houston Street was going head up against Cedric Benson. He's a good safety, or like Justin Tucker's days as a safety. But like those guys go on to be a pitcher in baseball or a kicker, not play at the highest level of football. And now we're seeing more and more do it. Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm, I'm glad, Rod, that your uh, your quest has has led somewhere productive like you you're one of those rare guys that sets out like some people might have thought it was a bit or whatever but like you, you you made a difference in football and society rod so you should you should put that on the business card I'm not joking yeah, no no I, i'm listen that was a comedic element to it right it was a little bit of it was in jest but i mean Still, though, I'm serious about something. I mean, I, I think we're making valid points, though. Yeah. Oakland fans do have to check themselves a little bit when they criticize Blake Gideon, criticizing Michael Taft, and criticizing Dylan Haynes. I'm thinking to myself, if y'all looked at him, I mean, the accomplishment-wise, Dylan Haynes, top five all-time interceptions at DBU. Blake Gideon started more games than any other player in history at DBU. All you shit, and look at Taft, Daddy, now balling. You know, yep. it, check yourself. It may be. Just a little bit of slight discrimination because you don't like white safeties and moving on up. 
Yeah, no, it's something, it's something that makes people uncomfortable when they see a white safety back there on they on their favorite team. They start thinking, oh man, something bad's gonna happen. No, they're good players, and trust me, they have to deal with a lot of discrimination to get that spot in the second year. Yep. It's true. It's not the just Harrison Smith. Do it. The coaches didn't want to do it either. They're like, man, I didn't want to put him out there, but he's 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 my best option. <laughs> <laughs> uh Rod, I can't remember. Was Michael Ungar part of DBU? No, he was a wide receiver. He was a wide receiver. Was, he was, man, he broke the rule because he was a, the fast white guys, man. Like, he was legit one of the fastest guys on our team. He would make you look bad out there. Every time Sark, you, every time yeah. Sark talks about, he's, you know, he's got between Keelan Robinson and, and Keaton Crawford, he's got the best gunners in the country. I'm like, they got a long way to go because Michael Unger is still the best gunner in school history, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, hey, you know what? Honestly, you're right about that. He was, he was a beast, man. He was a beast. Actually, if we're being truthful, man. Josh Thompson, because he 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 went down and Josh Thompson killed a lot of Michael Dixon's bombs inside the five in 2017. So Josh Thompson was a damn good gunner too. Yeah, but Keaton Crawford this year doing damn well too. Yeah, but enough talk about white safeties and white corners and gunners and everything else. <laughs> uh, we we hey, I'll ask you guys this. Um, we had a topic. Our our staff roundtable at Horns 24 seven. Our topic. Uh, in our most recent one was what do you feel like the biggest need is in the transfer portal? And, you know, some guys answered, you know, safety, one of them wide receiver being another. Um, I went with just making sure that the lines of scrimmage are solidified, understanding that, you know, especially on offense, like Sark and Kyle flood have been down this road. Uh, they went down this road after their first year when, you know, the fan base and a lot of people were screaming, oh, man, take you got to take offensive line from the portal. You got to you got to get that thing flipped quick. But they didn't. They wanted to play the long game and they just decided, you know what? Uh, it's better for us to invest in Kelvin Banks and, and DJ Campbell and and these young cats, the Cam Williams, who's probably going to be you know, your starting right tackle going into spring football next year. You know, invest in the young guys because they're better than anybody we can find in the portal. So understanding that uh, and, and defensively this year, your, your portal takes might be just getting Alfred Collins to come back. And if Trill Carter comes back for another year. So understanding that you might not go into the portal, but Rod, I, I've waited so long for Texas to have this line of scrimmage advantage that they've had in damn near every game they played. And I just I don't want them to lose that. It took so long for this program to get to that point. I just don't want to see it go backwards. Uh, yeah, I understand it, and it's tough to get you know competent, kind of capable, big humans uh, like Texas has, high level players like that on the lines of scrimmage in the portal anyway. Because mm-hmm. yeah, really good team, they don't let them go. Now, when you have <laughs> like a, a a firing of a coach and just a collapse of a culture. You know, maybe like you have an AM and they have to rebuild it, then you kind of get some of those situations uh, where those those kind of players are available. Um, but I think Texas is doing the right thing by playing the long game with the O-line and D-line. And even with the transfer portal reports now, it doesn't seem like Texas is looking at the one area where I think they should prioritize in a transfer portal on the lines of scrimmage would be interior D-line because yeah. you're losing – you know, the best D-tackle duo in the country, Tavondre Sweat, the Outland Trophy winner, you're losing Byron Murphy, 
uh, last year, you lost Keon J. Colburn and Moro Ojimo. So you're talking about that two-year span. You could have been considered the deepest defensive tackle room in the country, and now you're losing in Alfred Collins, right? Yeah. Uh, you're going to lose the bulk of that high-level talent now. you got the best interior D-line coach in the country in Bo Davis, so he's shown you can develop. But, you know, the guys behind them, Brian Bryden and, you know, Sadir Mitchell and those guys, uh, they're unproven commodities, and right now, a lot of your defensive uh, blueprint and philosophy is built on those two kind of, uh, you know, rocks that you got in the middle there, mm-hmm. uh, the one war daddy and, and Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy as well. So that I do wonder about if they're going to pursue that in the portal. Um, and it doesn't seem like they are. So it seems like they want to play the long game, as you mentioned, with, with both the lines of scrimmage, and they believe that's the best course of action. And when you're developing like Texas is, you can take that, you can take that approach. Uh, that's a luxury you have. Yep. And that's where like, say offensive line may be the hardest one to really have it be a direct impact. Cause we've talked so much about how continuity matters so much on the O line and just being, if you go out and are trying to fill gaps, you know, those are going to make guys, there's going to be time that's needed to form that type of continuity and communication and willing when you work together as a group, it's not like say plug in a hole at a specialist, like, they're going to be kickers in the portal forever and punters. Like you'll have guys that are ones that are good, that are moving up and say, want to go to play at a higher level that are successful or say a position like running back. Whenever you have just one on the field that gets the most carries. So you could have a really good guy buried down and behind a good depth chart and not getting the opportunities that's, you know, used to, or coming off say an injury. So like you're going to have position groups that are a lot better and easier to find somebody that can really contribute at the highest level of a power five conference by filling those little holes and areas like that. And the way Texas did with a guy like Quinn, that's insanely talented just behind a very deep QB room or a top in NFL guy compared to like going after say an O lineman where there's so much more needed to be a successful O lineman and there's value added by working together as a group compared to those other positions. Yeah, the only issue I think you could run into O line wise would be if you lose Jake Majors, like Alfred Collins and Jake Majors are in the same boat. They can come back for another year, even though they both participated in senior night and, and and at this point, I haven't heard much on Collins one way or the other. Uh, it sounds like Jake Majors is going to come back. But if for whatever reason, I mean, look, you know, Texas wins a national championship and some of these guys just decide to go right off into the sunset, whether whatever's next, whether it's the NFL or, you know, the the private sector or whatever, they might just decide to, hey, let's go ahead and do that. But so if that happens, like if you were to lose to Jake Majors, and I think this is the the portal conversation that I think people need to realize these staffs have like, OK, we've got a hole at center. Do we have an in-house candidate capable of filling that role, which in the case of Texas, you do. I think it'd be Cole Hudson and maybe you let just Cole Hudson and Connor Robertson battle it out during the spring. Then you ask yourself, OK, now we need another scholarship body for, you know, that we can either recruit a center or he can convert to center. Is there a guy like that in the portal that can help us? Or are we better off just taking a high school kid that we feel like we can develop? Well, for this staff, more often than not, they're going to take the high school kid. So it's pretty nuanced. It's not like, you know, in other words, I don't think Texas treats the portal. Texas treats the portal basically like a souped up version, kind of how the Dallas Cowboys treat free agency, right? Like you don't see the Cowboys go out and be, big spenders 
in free agency, but it's very, they take a very measured approach. And if they go sign somebody, there's going to be a reason why, like, man, you need to feel the need, but it's got to be a certain guy. It's got to be a specific guy. And Rod, we've talked about it. Like the Cowboys have done a really good job at develop drafting well and developing their draft picks. And I think that's always going to be the root of what Sark does is it's going to be the high school recruiting. They're not, he's not going to be one of these teams that just loads up on, you know, double digit portal guys every year. But I know I'm rambling a little bit, but that's just, in other words, I, is if this uh, if this staff if this is how they're going to develop, then I think w- the portal is going to be kind of the same deal every year. Where there's going to be, you know, five guys give or take a couple that they might need that they might want to pursue, but the rest of it's going to be high school recruiting. And there, I got I got really no problem with that. Yeah, gonna, I, I totally agree. I think you know they're going to supplement with the transfer portal. Yes, because they have that luxury. Um, every now and then there'll be a position where they have to uh, prioritize it because there's immediacy there and their losses, injury for whatever reason. Um, but you're right about the Cowboys. The Cowboys are the most homegrown, organic, uh, organically grown team in the NFL. Nobody builds through the draft more and better than the Cowboys. I think ultimately for Sark's culture, he wants to build through the high school ranks because and I think that's why he's so judicious and so selective about guys he brings in the portal. He knows the Isaiah Hall experiment was a bit of a, a failure, right? Yeah. The Jaleel Billingsley experiment was a bit of a failure for them. And I think he understands now you can't just bring in guys that have, you know, the talent and that have the, that have the scouting report that you want necessarily in terms of that position that fit that profile. You got to make sure you vet them, vet their personality, and make sure they're going to fit with this specific team. Um, and that they're not going to come in and disrupt your culture. And mm-hmm. I think that's what he's big on right now, too, which is why Texas is taking their time in the portal with guys because they can. They can do that. Yep, and they've done a good job at when needing an area or an area of need, being able to fill it. Like we talked about Nayor now. It didn't work out the way as expected for Nayor, but going into last year, Texas really needed that vertical threat opposite of Worthy to make that offense work. Quinn was a perfect one to bring in whenever you have a room where you had Casey or you had Card, but you knew a guy that had been previously interested in Texas and loved Texas and you need to get a five-star quarterback. And then when Nayor blows his leg out, you fill that hole with A.D. Mitchell because you need somebody. Like, if you can always find a top-end you know, playoff experience, a guy that if I mean, Nayor and AD are different when you look at where they came from, but both were highly, highly valued and really, really good players on the field before they transferred into Texas. And it was a specific area of need, but now that you've been able to develop some guys through your system with a guy like Jonte Cook is like you may see fewer and fewer of those but whenever the depth chart looks a certain way going into a season you may be able to find that diamond in the rough or find that guy that's a proven commodity that just happens to fit with what you're doing Rod you mentioned interior D-line and one one thought from you on this and then we'll move on Matt obviously feel free to chime in as well I think when you look at the the guys Texas has targeted in the portal so far, they brought in one guy for a visit. That was Trey Moore, the, the edge from UTSA. It feels like maybe PK is preparing for this defense. Like you're always you always want to be strong with your interior defensive line. Not no question about that. 
But it's almost like you're seeing maybe more of PK's philosophy come to life in terms of, I mean, Trey Moore, 6'3", 235-ish, whatever he is, to put him opposite of a Baron Sorrell or an Ethan Burke or whoever on that other side, it feels like he's starting to get – we're starting to see more of what PK's style of defense is and I think maybe you might not be as strong on the interior defensive line, but maybe they're just counting on, look, we're going to be much better on the edges next year. Maybe the best edge play Texas has had since he's been here, since PK's been here, if they get Trey Moore out of the portal. Maybe that's where you they kind of compensate. I don't know. Am I, am I off base? Am I overthinking it? I just feel like maybe we're seeing more of this is how PK really wants his defense to look. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think you're, you're right about that. I think for – if you start looking at the linebacker, because most of these guys, these are guys that they inherited, right, and developed really well. That's mm-hmm. the beauty of the, the recipe so far is that we know this group can develop because they took another coach's talent pretty much and developed all those guys into being high-level NFL players and to reaching their ceiling. Um, now we're going to start seeing their spe- like what they covet specifically in players, the types of players they like. And what we're seeing is they – are prioritizing premium positions, kind of like the NFL does, right? Cornerback, edge rusher um, on defense. Got Colin Simmons coming in, right? He's the big edge rusher for you. You're a guy that can be a perennial, uh, you know, kind of five-star talent on the edge, the guy that's projected to be an NFL caliber edge rusher too. Um, Anthony Hill, that's your you know, your talent in at the linebacking core that is versatile and can be a multiple uh, weapon for you, moving him around. He can rush off the edge. He also can play off-ball linebacker, works well in space. And now they're looking for those guys at the cornerback position. Malik Muhammad's part of that. Uh, you know, I think going after this young kid, Kobe Black's a part of that. Uh, and then the safety position, which is not a premium position, but it's going to be key for uh, for Texas in terms of, how they're going to be uh, attacked in the XCC and how they're going to try to be exposed in the SEC because that's one of their one weakness right now. They've got good players in the secondary, but not all of them are coverage specialists. They want to get safeties that can cover. And that's yeah. what Derrick yeah. Williams represents, a safety that can cover like a cornerback. And I think that's kind of one of the last pieces. D-tackle is interesting. I'm with you. I don't necessarily know if they're going to have the types of war daddies inside that they inherited going forward. That's going to be the question. Yep, and that's where you mentioned it there, but looking at the numbers, Derek Williams, he finished the year against man and zone, like borderline elite. It was a 69.7 NFL passer rating allowed in man and 78.6 NFL passer rating allowed in zone. And and Michael Taft's man numbers aligned with last year. I mean, last year, like I mentioned earlier, he was zero in his what 40 it was 20 yeah 28 coverage snaps in 2022 this year it was a 31.9 NFL passer rating on his 40 coverage snaps in man now in zone uh, it was a 116.4 which could you use a lot of improvement but still a guy that has a tool that if you Get him, you know, locked in with somebody. Normally, that's going to be when a safety is most, you know, vulnerable, being caught in a man situation. But when you have him outperforming all the other safeties, that's something that really could be used to your strengths if you're able to scheme stuff up to where you aren't worried if he's being put in that situation against a running back or against a tight end, he can hold his own. I, I think Rod. 
I want to go back to interior D line because that that's going to take me to my team point that I want to I want to get hit on to to finish out the show this week. You know, you take a look at a kid like DeAndre Robinson that's going to sign with Texas next week out of state of Florida, and he'll be on campus for spring ball. DeAndre Robinson is the kind of guy that I think if you're not, it's really hard to get the front line defensive tackles just because there's so few of them. So you you know, once you get to a certain point when you're evaluating guys, man, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So you take a kid like DeAndre Robinson out of Florida, out of Orlando, and you know, kids got. Really, really good measurable, 6'4", 315, really good athlete, but what's the knock on him? Well, he takes plays off, doesn't have a consistent motor, really inconsistent play. You I mean, you Rod, you've been out to plenty of practices and seen how Bo Davis operates. Like, if, you, if you're in Bo Davis's room, you're going to do one or two things if you're that kind of guy. You're either going to rise above and and change your, your work habits and blossom, or you're going to shrivel and wilt really quick. It really ain't no in-between. So... I, I like that they're taking some guys that they say, look, we can get him in here. And, you know, if he's reasonable and if he's willing to be coachable, then we're going to have a hell of a player two, three years down the road. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I think they, they trust – if they don't take anybody in the interior D-line in uh, the transfer portal, and I don't think they will because you don't even hear any buzz about it, it just shows you how much they trust Bo Davis and yeah. his evaluations and his ability to develop. And I don't know if there's a coach on this staff, really, they trust more in development than him, um, just kind of based on their approach to it. Because, you know, they on the old line, right, They the pancake factory, they've brought in tons of talent on the old line. Like, oh, we've talked about that. Like, it's one of the most talented old line uh, recruiting classes in 2022 in, in the history of modern recruiting. Um, I think with what Bo Davis has done, and what he's basically turned Keandre Colbert and Moro Ojimo and Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, all of these guys increased their draft stock just basically in one year, uh, mm-hmm. kind of with Bo Davis as being kind of the marquee guys. I think they trust that what he can do with kind of whatever the raw materials they have there. Um, and and I, I trust him too at this point because I don't know if there's any position on the team that we've seen development at a higher level than right now at D-Tackle. Yep, and also whenever you hear different type of scouting reports on players that are like, say, Jeff said, a 6'4", 315 guy at a high school level and that he quote-unquote takes plays off or doesn't have a high motor, it's like, well, a lot of the times those huge guys are playing like 100% of snaps in those situations when in college they definitely aren't going to be playing that many snaps. And also when you're that huge at the high school level, it's understandable that sometimes maybe you are taking a playoff because you are just so used to being able to dominate players on most scenarios. So that's something where those are the type of guys that when they get to the next higher level where the competition's higher, sometimes you see them really, really blossom because they're sort of forced to have to take every single play as serious as the other one. And uh, since I still had the numbers up and didn't mention them a second ago, amongst those safeties, it was uh, Barron. His uh, coverage numbers to end the season were elite against both man and or in man and in zone. He finished at 42.4 when scenarios put in man coverage, and it doesn't decipher if that's when he was playing nickel or when he was playing safety. And then in zone, it was 79.9. So, you know, he's a guy that – you, you would expect with his skills, you know, may not be seen much, but he had some really good production this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rod, backing up your point on Bo Davis, 
we really didn't get to see it his first stint at Texas because at this point in his first stint, at the end of year three, that staff pretty much knew they were all getting fired. So they were on their way out. But, uh, you know, look at what he did his first time at Texas. I mean, that first year, you know, Keiston Randall was a, a, an all-Big 12 defensive tackle who got drafted. Bo Davis took Chris Whaley from one of the biggest running back busts this program has had and turned him into a damn NFL talent at defensive tackle. Uh, and Chris Whaley credited Bo Davis with a lot of that. You know, he took Hassan Ridgeway from kind of a almost a tweener type guy, wanted to play edge, and bulked him up and, and really started what the next staff finished. And Hassan Ridgeway ended up being, you know, an NFL draft pick, a fourth round draft pick. So we really didn't get to see all of it, but you could definitely see signs his first run at Texas, what he was capable of doing. Now, now that there's stability, which he never had this first run at Texas, now you're getting to see what Bo Davis got. The, the, it's interesting, as, as Texas looks for a linebacker's coach, and we know now Jeff Choate is going to be with the team until the season's over. I do wonder if, and, and again, guys, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong or, or if I'm if I'm off base or whatever, but I feel like that good cop, bad cop, yin and yang that PK had with Jeff Choate, I wonder if now if Bo Davis is that guy for him because PK is not the kind of guy that's going to necessarily get in people's faces and scream and holler. Bo Davis will be that kind of guy. So I wonder if if it's just their relationship. And because one coaches the interior D-line, the other coaches edges, I just wonder if they're getting closer. And, and Bo at this point in his career, Rod, I don't think he's got aspirations to be a, a coordinator or a head coach. I think he's one of those guys, and you see guys like this across the country, man, he's he's a defensive tackles coach, a D-line coach, and he's really damn good at what he does. And maybe he could be for Sark at Texas what, you know, Odell Haggins has been for every coach that's come through Florida State since Bobby Bowden, just the guy that, man, we just trust him to do what he does, and he's, you know, a big culture guy. We love having him here, and he's he's a really good D-line coach, but that's pretty much going to be where where he stays. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That's a great point. I forgot. He almost forget about that Bo Davis tenure he had earlier at Texas yeah. sometimes. You almost forget about it, but you're right. Showed He showed a lot of uh, a development uh, potential there as well. Yeah. So I mentioned it here, D-line, because I, I feel, Rod, I feel like when we talked about the uh, – the Sugar Bowl, it's all been related to coverage, and I think rightfully so because that's the strength of this Washington team. But I was thinking about it, and I know the personnel kind of changed late in the year, but I go back to what I've heard you and other guys say over the years, you know, playing with guys like Sean and Casey or guys that played with, you know, Roy Miller and Lamar Houston. And when you've got two big badass defensive tackles, it makes your life as a coverage guy a whole lot easier and you can be more aggressive. You can take some more chances and Terry Joseph's in charge of the game plans on the back end. It seemed like really in the Iowa state game, like the light bulb kind of went off of, you know what? Um, Because of the advantage we have at defensive tackle, maybe that can just naturally let us play a little more aggressive, a little closer to the line of scrimmage. It Rod, I want you because uh, I turn all coverage topics over to you, not just expanding on that, but I think when people hear tighter coverage, they assume you're going to play bump and run. Those things aren't necessarily one in the same, though. No, it's not. Uh, but Texas is playing more bump, bump and run. They're playing more press coverage. 
on the field and the boundary side. In the Tech and Oklahoma State game, they played more uh, press coverage by my uh, account, by my tracking, than they played all season long. Now, they play a lot of boundary press man corner uh, mm-hmm. with Ryan Watts, but on the field side, they haven't been doing that. They want to do it. They talked about wanting to do it, but they haven't done it uh, as much as they've done in the last two games. Um, I think it's opponent-specific, but it, it also could be them trending that way because they got these corners now, the corners they want in place, um, and they believe that maybe the technique and the fundamentals are a little bit more sound and maybe they can take chances now. Or maybe at the end of the season they figured out, listen, we're not necessarily going to get better in pass defense, so why are we allowing them, allowing teams to convert and why are we allowing teams to keep drives alive by getting easy, quick completions with inside breaking routes uh, and short completions? Why don't we take that away, force them to throw the football downfield? If they connect on it, great. Uh, but if not, they'll hold on to the ball and let the pressure get there. I'm not sure exactly what they're thinking, uh, but the truth is, Tech, they shut down playing press. Uh, yeah. Tech, couldn't, Tech couldn't figure it out. Oklahoma State actually did figure out what to do. Oklahoma State essentially had the same adjustment that Texas does when teams play press against uh, Xavier Worthy or uh, uh, A.D. Mitchell. We're going to take you up top. We're going deep. And they went deep on Texas a few times. Um, and by my count, they probably they threw more deep shots against Texas, uh, as many deep shots as any team all season long, uh, 20 yards or more down the field. They connected on three of them. Um, but remember, there was one P.I. that wasn't called. That probably should have been called early on that Gundy was upset about. There was a P.I. that I don't count in that that was called on Jaday Barron. There was another post route that was running wide open. Quarterback just missed him. Probably could have been a touchdown. There were some plays to be made uh, on deep balls, and that was the adjustment. So Texas – when they do it against Washington, which I think they will, you'll have to. They have to be more uh, proficient. They got to be more sound when they do it technique-wise. Or they got to pray and hope that the D-line, as you pointed out, gets home way before they can be exposed on some of those vertical routes. But I'll give you a, a reason to be optimistic because I know it sounds like fear factor. Um, Texas last season did a really good job limiting the 20-plus yard uh, passes for Washington. I went back and watched that Alamo Bowl. They threw nine deep balls. They only connected on one of them, and it was the first play of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a fleet flick on the first play of the game. That was it. They Out of the nine deep balls they threw, they only connected on one. So, you know, Texas has a plan for how to limit them, those deep balls, but they're better uh, this year. Of course, Michael Penix is better. Um, I think Texas is better, though, too. So if Texas can keep them from throwing and committing uh, he's converting some of those deep balls. Um, I think Texas got a really good shot to, to win it and win it in a you know convincing fashion because that's a big part of what makes this Texas this uh, Washington offense unique. Last year, the only reason they lost outside of the deep balls was third down and fourth down conversion. Texas couldn't get off the field. I think they were they allowed them, but I think convert thirteen of twenty three, something like that, on third and fourth downs and, and rushing defense. Texas was they got allowed one hundred fifty eight rushing yards over five and a half yards per rush this year you're top five in the country in rush and rushing defense and in third down defense so it definitely won't play out the way it did last season yep and when you brought up the numbers there with okie state going three for seven 100 yards on those deep balls but texas was able to get that one pick off of them and then last year big difference between washington and this year Washington facing Texas is Texas's pass rush because Texas's pass rush. You know, we talked a lot about the ability to pressure last year, but wasn't necessarily getting home. And then this year, not only do you have, you know, the same guys, just a little bit more depth, but you've added in a guy in Anthony Hill, where if you look at the Texas records now for true freshmen, 
It's the third best pass rush season in school history. You had Tim Campbell had 13 sacks as a true freshman. Tony Brackens had 10 sacks as a true freshman. Now Marcus Tubbs as a redshirt freshman had five and a half. And then Anthony Hill Jr. had five. So it's fourth amongst all-time freshman records, but it's third amongst true freshman records. And this list, I sort of just forced this in here because do you know who is ranked eighth in sacks as a true freshman in school history? That would be uh, Rod Babers. Yeah, oh, that would be wild. the third member of our team. Nice. So you're the you're the eighth best uh, pass rusher in school history. I know one of those sacks <laughs> was against uh, Cliff Kingsbury, but that's when that was you were playing the nickel and being brought in from the side, wasn't it? Yep, it was. Yep, I yep. So if you, if you count in all the all the redshirt freshmen according to the record books, you're tenth. You're tied with guys like Malcolm Roach and Dee Dee Lewis and Kenneth Sims and Robin Sinline. But uh, eighth overall, just behind DJ. DJ had four and a half as a true freshman. Rod Wright had four and a half, and Pickerel had four and a half. I think Kalen Thornton, who was also a guest here on the show, had three and a half. But Anthony Hill, really impressed, really impressive freshman record. Rod, after practice, do you ever get some work in with Tolly, where he's talking about you converting speed to power, making sure you're you're good on that? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that was a, that's that's a nice little nugget, that old man. That's well done. Good stuff. Rod, Rod B over there with Hardy McCrary and Tyler talk about bending the edge and Bull Bull Reese working on your three point stance, being the being the fierce edge rusher for the program. <laughs> um, no, that's that's good stuff. No, Rod, I've got the numbers from the Alamo Bowl pulled up last year for Penix on deep balls. Yeah, one of ten for thirty five yards. Uh, yeah, not very good. Uh, you know the the part of the game in this again. I think this kind of gives you confidence. He wasn't that great on intermediate throws either. I mean, throws of 10-plus, he was 5 of 21, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, The bulk of his damage was done in the short game, 0 to 9 yards, 16 of 18, and then throws behind the line of scrimmage, screen game, he was 11 of 11. So, I mean, granted, the Washington passing game is better now than it was last year, but Pac-12 defenses and, suck. What? I was saying Pac-12 defenses also suck. So That's I think true, there's, yeah. a, there's a big underrating value of how good the defenses are in the Big 12. I really think it's something not noticed still across the country. Like there were people on Twitter going back and forth with me about, oh, man, look how many of these close games, you know, Georgia had, blah, blah, blah. It's like, have you looked at the strength of schedule that they actually had and the teams that they were keeping close? It's like, Texas played a pretty damn tough schedule this year, and you look at the defenses Texas played, they're so much better than the defenses in other conferences, especially the Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12 really, outside of Utah and UCLA, two of the teams that didn't even do great this year, I mean, Washington probably has the best defense out of all of them, you know, and they don't have to play themselves. So those numbers, I think, they're they're a bit inflated only because that's who they're going up against. Not to say anything, Washington's elite. They're really good. We saw that last year they beat us. But like you're saying, in that loss that we had, we did hold down their passing game that was very elite last season, too. I think we oh, could all agree. Held, Go and ahead, we held Penix to his lowest yards, his lowest yards per attempt in the last two years. Uh was in yep. that bowl game versus Texas. It was like five point three yards per attempt or something like that. So no, no, they Texas lost that game for two reasons on defensively. They couldn't get Washington off the field. Washington couldn't they weren't great 
at you know downfield vertical passing. But as you just pointed out, Jeff, when they got to a third and medium or a third and short, which they got to, they were able to convert and they were able to mm-hmm. stay on the field a long time against Texas. They actually had a bad game offensively. I mean, I think he was less than 60% completion percentage. It was a good game plan defensively for Texas. They just couldn't get off the field. That third down yeah, was bad. But this year, that will not be the case. That yeah. damn Talapapa had a career year. I mean, that guy, he had his best game of his entire career against Texas, and it was converting a lot of those third and shorts. Yeah, yeah, Rod, I got to do some napkin math real quick. Uh, yeah, 58% completion rate, which is not where you want to be. No. Uh, yards per attempt, uh, under five. And but to your point, UW was eleven for twenty on third down, two for three on fourth down. So and yep. uh, I was doing my math, Rod. So you might have mentioned this, and I apologize. I don't know if you're talking about defensively. Let's not forget, man. Texas struggled the first half to find an identity on offense in that game without Bijan and Roshan. I mean, remember they were, you know, they got into short yards a couple of times, and they were trying to run like, you know. Trying to run Keelan Robinson on like gap schemes, and we're like, that's that's not gonna work. That's not a that's not a that's not a path to victory. Um, but you know, I, I do. I keep I keep I've referenced that game a lot, just from the standpoint of the second half production by Quinn Ewers. Felt like it was Quinn and Sark really for the first time understanding that you know what we don't have to force deep shots. Let's get the ball out to the perimeter, get it out of his hand quick, and trust our athletes that we've recruited and developed to go make plays in space and go be playmakers. And that's what they did. And it was screen passes, but a lot of it was Quinn checking the ball down. And that's when they started finding the rhythm because Washington was willing to give them the short stuff. And it's like, yeah, if they're going to give it to us, let's just go ahead and take it. And I think, you know, when you look at, you look at that game compared to where Quinn was in the Big 12 championship game, it was what we saw in the Alamo Bowl just amplified by so many levels because now Quinn's in tune with the screen game and he knows when to get the ball out, where guys are going to be. And like you said, Rod, a lot of the quick game stuff, it's first read quick throws anyway, which Quinn is really good at. So I just feel like that Alamo Bowl game, even though it was a loss, and as I'm watching a highlight from that game, watching – Xavier Worthy drop what would have been about a 60-some-odd-yard touchdown. Uh, and by the way, it's going to help when he's got two good hands in this game also. Uh, you know, just planting the seeds for the evolution of Quinn Ewers that we've seen this year. Yeah, no, I agree. I, it, actually, that game, um, I was re-watching and noticed that they Sark, one of his adjustments is he actually ran a lot of empty, I think more empty, second most empty snaps that they ran all season last year. And I, and I think a big reason why was because they essentially decided to abandon a running game. They didn't have Bijan Rojo. Keelan Robinson wasn't working in traditional running game. Uh, Jonathan Brooks was hurt. Remember, he was dealing with an injury yep. now, we found out later on. Uh, they went empty a lot, and it actually did speed up uh, Quinn's process a little bit. And, and I, be- I believe he was like over 85% completion percentage in empty. Ran a, a time or two, got a first down running. You know, I don't know if they'll do it schematically against uh, Washington this time around because it, I don't know if – the circumstance would match because they do have bodies at running back now, but it was something that they did that worked really well against Washington last season. Yep. All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, we'll be back next week and we'll continue. We'll get deeper because we'll, when we record next week, we'll be under two weeks to the game. 
So we'll uh you know we'll start really hammering it next week and really getting into the nitty gritty. Not that we didn't this week, but we'll really get into it starting next week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports, the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network, and the Horns 24-7 Podcast Feed, where you can get each and every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops first thing Wednesday mornings. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, Two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.